Hey, podcast listeners, I'm Alex Bloomberg. And before we get started, I just want to mention that today's podcast is a rerun, and I want to mention the reason. Regular listeners know that we've been working on a big T-shirt project for the last few months. You know, we're making a bunch of T-shirts. We've sent people around the globe to find out how our T-shirt gets made, Bangladesh, Colombia, Indonesia, and we are in the final home stretch of finishing up our t-shirt project. We've got all the stories are getting edited right now. We're building this big website where the t-shirt will tell its own story. I have been working around the clock on it. I'm very, very tired. It's invading my dreams. But anyway, the point is, while we're working on these stories, we've been reaching into our archives to re-air some of our favorite podcasts. And here is today's episode. John has been addicted to heroin for 11 years, and a while back he was standing on Philadelphia's worst drug corner when he heard the dealers were offering a new product. I was walking past, I heard somebody yelling, sub, 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 and that's kind of a new thing because you know what they yell out there, all kinds of different things, so when I found out it was Suboxone, you know, it was sure for, I felt kind of stupid at first, but I wanted to see how it worked, you know. I bought it, $10 a pill, had a little cross on it. Suboxone isn't a typical drug that dealers sell because, first of all, it's legal. You can get it in a doctor's office with a prescription. And second, Suboxone was designed specifically to help addicts get themselves off drugs. In fact, it's been called the holy grail of opiate addiction treatment. Suboxone attaches to the same receptors in your brain that other opiates like heroin or morphine or Oxycontin do. And so when you're taking Suboxone, those drugs don't have the same effect. I thought it was a miracle pill because I worked nine hours that day the first time I did it and didn't have to worry about being sick, didn't have to worry about going to get dope or anything. I fell in love with it the first time I did it. John says he fell in love with this drug because it seemed like the perfect way to help him quit heroin. John, and I should say John isn't his real name, John doesn't have a doctor, he doesn't have insurance, and so if he wants Suboxone, there's only one place he can get it. The same place he gets his heroin, on the street, from a drug dealer. It starts, you know, starts at 8 o'clock in the morning, you know, before I go to work. I need something. I got to do this before I go to work. So hopefully the Suboxone people are out. If the Suboxone aren't out, then I know I have to go get the heroin. I have to get one or the other. It, it becomes a medication. After using so long, it's not that I get high. I do dope to function now. As far as Suboxone, it can last me all day, but the heroin's only going to last me for seven, eight hours, and then I got to do the whole process over again. And hopefully either the Suboxone's out. If not, I have to go to Plan B. Can I ask which plan it was today? What plan it was today? The heroin. Yeah, Suboxone was an that one. Hello and welcome to Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Mata Zapeda. And Mata, you're joining us on our program today to talk about the mystery of Suboxone. This is a prescription drug that doctors can prescribe in their offices. It actually treats addiction to heroin, morphine, pain pills like Oxycontin. The government spent millions of dollars and decades developing this drug. Lots of addicts would love to take this drug. And yet, many people who want it, people like John, can only find it on the street. How did it turn out this way? A miracle drug to treat addiction that lots of people can only get from drug dealers. Today, the story of why. Mata, welcome to uh, the program, Planet Money. Great to have you here. Thank you. Um, So you're guest hosting today because you've been doing a lot of reporting on addiction treatment and specifically on this drug, Suboxone. 
Right. And the main ingredient in Suboxone is called buprenorphine. You're going to hear us go back and forth. Suboxone, buprenorphine. Same thing. For our purposes, same thing. Yeah. And buprenorphine is the product of a very long quest by the U.S. government, a quest that they've been on since the 1920s, to develop a pill that doctors could prescribe to treat opiate addiction. Throughout the years, they found promising candidates, but they never panned out. There were side effects, or the treatments themselves were addictive. For a while, researchers thought methadone might be the answer. Maybe you've heard of methadone. But it is possible to overdose on methadone, and also methadone itself is addictive. So it's also not this holy grail. And then, in the mid-60s, a promising advance came, a drug called buprenorphine. It had a mild narcotic effect, but it wasn't nearly as intense as heroin or morphine. You could function on it. And crucially, it's really hard to overdose on it, almost impossible. This drug, buprenorphine, it was discovered in an unlikely place, a company called Reckitt's. At the time, their biggest sellers? Lysol and Love My Carpet and Easy Off Oven Cleaner and Woolite and... Uh, Coleman's mustard and... Mustard. So so buprenorphine was first developed by a mustard company? <laughs> you might say that, yeah. <laughs> this is Charles O'Keefe, who ran the division at Reckitt's that developed buprenorphine. And he says that back then, convincing Reckitt's to develop this drug, a drug that government researchers had been looking for for decades, it was a really hard sell. For the same reason that most U.S. pharmaceutical companies have avoided the the addiction treatment market, simply because they don't... They look at the patients and they see, well, who are the patients? Most of the patients don't have insurance. Most of the patients don't have the money to pay for the drug. Um, Why do? Why would we want to get into that business? So it's it's a, (laughs) you know, it's a uh, it's a lose lose situation from many pharmaceutical companies' perspectives. Rackets may have been skeptical about getting into this business, but the government was not. And so the government lobbied Rackets. NIDA, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, which is part of the National Institutes of Health, essentially it said to Rackets, look, we need this drug. And so how can we convince you to make it? So Rackets said, well, it's going to cost us a lot to develop this drug. We have to fund a bunch of studies probably be hundreds of millions of dollars. So the government, NIDA, said essentially, what if we put up some of that money? And Reckitt said, okay, well, that's great, but it's still going to cost us something. And how are we going to recoup those costs? Because here's the problem. Our patent on buprenorphine, it's expired, meaning any other drug manufacturer can come along and make a generic version and undercut our prices. So another branch of the government, the Food and Drug Administration, stepped in and said, well, we'll make an exception, and we'll give you exclusive rights for seven years under a rarely used provision in the drug licensing laws. Great, said Ricketts. But even if you give us money to help us develop it, even if you grant us exclusivity so that we can recoup our costs, there is still one other problem. If we make this drug available to doctors, it is against the law for them to prescribe it. According to U.S. law that's on the books, it's illegal to prescribe an opiate for the treatment of opiate addiction. And so yet another government body, U.S. Congress, said, okay, we'll change that law specifically to allow doctors to treat opiate addiction with buprenorphine, the Drug Addiction Treatment Act of 2000. That is how much the government really wanted this holy grail. And we should say that whole process that we just did back and forth, it actually took 30 years in real life. But since the legislation was passed in 2000, it is now here. Doctors can now prescribe buprenorphine right in their offices the government's long quest for the Holy Grail would seem to have come to an end. But if that's the case, why does this guy exist? Why don't you start by introducing yourself however you want to be referred to. My name is Mystery Mystery Man. 
Tell me what street we're walking on right now. We're on Second Street. All narcotics come through this neighborhood. And when did you notice that Suboxone was being sold on the black market? When everybody started wanting it. And so how often would you say you sell Suboxone? Every day. I met Mystery Man at a park in downtown Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he says that business is booming, especially in the mornings. He'll also sell you crack, guns, and heroin. To get the crack and heroin, there's an underground network of illegal drug wholesalers. But to get the Suboxone, he needs to find people with prescriptions. People like this other guy I met who I'll call Peter. It was the best thing that ever happened. I was like, oh my lord, this is like a miracle pill. Peter is a heroin addict, and he's also HIV positive. He used to hold a union job until the economy tanked. A while back, he wanted to quit heroin. So he got Suboxone the way the government wanted addicts to get it, from a doctor. The problem is, Peter's insurance covered the pills, but not the doctor's visits, and those visits are expensive. So Peter convinced his doctor to give him more Suboxone pills than he actually needed. That's actually how I offset the cost. I would sell just enough for the doctor. If the doctor was $100, I would sell 12 of them. And that would give me $120. That's bus fare, <laughs> the doctor's visits, and usually a soda while I was there because I was always there for a while. Peter legally gets the drugs from his doctor. He takes some, sells the rest to someone like Mystery Man, and then Mystery Man sells to someone like John, the uninsured heroin addict we met at the beginning. It was easier to buy it on the street at, at, in the beginning and still now. John says that getting Suboxone on the street is a lot cheaper than his heroin addiction. Every day, John can either spend $10 on one pill of Suboxone, which will last him the whole day, or $100 on all the heroin that he would need to last him a day. Mystery Man, for his part, says this system of black market addiction treatment seems to work, at least as far as his Suboxone customers are concerned. People, they don't need drugs no more. People don't overdose no more. They just mellow. If once you take it, you don't, you, don't, you don't have to scratch no more. You don't have to nod no more. If you take it, you won't be stealing, you won't be robbing, and you won't be prostituting. That's the way it is. So you think it's a good thing? Yeah, it's a good thing. It's a good thing, maybe, but not the good thing the government was working decades to achieve. The Holy Grail, it was supposed to be something addicts could get in a doctor's office. Mystery Man is not part of that dream. So what went wrong? Part of that answer can be found with the government, because at the same time that one part of the government was passing a special law allowing Suboxone to come into being, that law that Congress passed, another part of the government was raising the alarm. The part of the government in charge of regulating controlled substances, the DEA, they insisted on rules that restricted the supply of buprenorphine, the main ingredient in Suboxone. There are an unusual number of restrictions concerning Suboxone. First of all, doctors have to get a special license just to prescribe it, a special license that only a fraction of doctors take the trouble to get. And then when you do get that license, there's a cap on the number of patients you can see. In most cases, it's just a couple dozen patients. So a limited supply of doctors and a limited amount of patients those limited doctors can see. Dr. Miriam Kamarami is the medical director of a drug treatment hospital in Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's a catch-22, that it's, it's a medication that has clearly been shown to be life-saving, to reduce crime, to reduce prostitution, to reduce infection with HIV. Just every, almost every health measure you can imagine improves when people who are opiate addicted 
are treated with Suboxone, and yet we have very limited and inadequate availability and very onerous regulations around the use of Suboxone in this country. And add to that, the demand for Suboxone has increased far beyond what people ever anticipated. Since Suboxone came to market in the U.S. about a decade ago, the prescription drug addiction rate, addictions to opiates like OxyContin and morphine, has tripled. And the Centers for Disease Control now says that the country faces an opiate pain pill addiction epidemic. So even more people want this holy grail than we originally predicted. Everybody I know who prescribes Suboxone is full to their maximum number of patients they can handle. I would guess that we could multiply the number of docs who prescribe Suboxone in our state by five and still not be meeting the need. How do we explain this catch-22, the government at war with itself, creating a miracle drug to help addicts and then making it incredibly difficult for those addicts to get their hands on the miracle drug? Well, the answer is the government is divided basically the same way society is in the way it views addiction. Is addiction a crime or a disease? So on the one hand, the part of the government concerned with helping addicts who sees addiction as a disease sees all the good Suboxone can do. But the part of the government in charge of trying to control illegal substances looks at Suboxone really suspiciously. It is an opiate after all. People could use it to get high. Eric Wish is a psychologist and addiction expert at the University of Maryland. And he says there's lots of reasons to tightly regulate Suboxone. To him, there are parallels to another drug, a miracle drug from a century ago. Bayer came out with the same people who bring us aspirin. In uh, 1906, came out with as a treatment for morphine addiction and as um, a non-addictive drug. Do you know what drug that was? was heroin. And let me just say here that no one, including Eric Wish, thinks Suboxone is as addictive or destructive as heroin. It's been studied enough that we we know that. But Wish says we still have a lot that we don't know about Suboxone, and it's worth it to be cautious. There is a long history of drugs that come out, specifically narcotic drugs that come out, um, that we think are going to be the panacea and the answer. And then it takes a while before the negative effects come out and society can respond to them. Whatever you think about Suboxone, the economics are pretty clear. There are a lot more people who want Suboxone than there are doctors who prescribe it. And so those people find other ways of getting it. And what you think should be done about this depends on one big question, a big question which we don't really know the answer to. Why? Why do so many people want Suboxone? Eric Wish worries that... They want it for criminal reasons. They want Suboxone to get high. It doesn't get you as high as other drugs, but it'll do in a pinch. And then there's what doctors say. Because in a recent survey, substance abuse treatment providers were asked why they think so many people were buying Suboxone on the street. And three-quarters of them said they thought people were seeking it out on the street to treat their opiate addictions, which is, after all what the drug was intended to do. I got that don't play hustle, everyday hustle, bumping in your hood, I got that mixtape hustle, my money flowing lovely, got that fixed rate hustle. Since we first aired the story, Reckett's exclusive rights to producing buprenorphine expired. And just this year, in February, the FDA approved two generic forms of the drug. Also, in December of 2012, the Department of Health and Human Services changed their rules, making it possible for treatment programs like methadone clinics to prescribe buprenorphine to their patients. Before 2012, patients had to go to the clinic every day to get a pill. Even with these changes, Miriam Kamarami says doctors still aren't able to meet the demand for the drug. 
As always, we'd love to hear your thoughts, questions, comments. Please send them to us at planetmoney at npr.org, or you can find us on Facebook, Spotify, or Twitter. And Mata, we wanted to give a special thank you to Nancy Campbell. Yes, thank you to Nancy Campbell. She's a historian of drug addiction, and she wrote an article that we found incredibly helpful for this story, which you can find online. At npr.org slash money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. I'm Mata Cepeda. Thanks for listening. Whistle, why you hustle? Say you with me. Whistle, why you hustle? Come on. Whistle, why you hustle? You got to whistle, why you hustle? 